Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. Your Bibles turn to the Gospel of John and we will be picking up exactly right where we left off in John's Gospel there in verse 29. As we look at a message entitled, The Proper Recognition of Jesus. This is now one day after what we saw last week when John the Baptist was being interrogated by the religious crowd as they sent out a delegation to confront him and he boldly proclaimed the truth that he was there to proclaim and he did not back down. Just one day later, we see here again on the banks of the Jordan near Bethany, John is out doing what he came to do, and that is to baptize in a baptism of repentance to point others to the Christ who was to come. We're going to see that the fulfillment of that is going to happen in today's lesson. John is going to see, more importantly than see, he's going to recognize Jesus properly. He's going to identify Him as Scripture defines Jesus. He's not going to do as many are guilty of doing in our culture and identifying this so-called Jesus in what He thinks He ought to be. What He thinks He should be. He's not going to identify Jesus based on how He thinks He can benefit from Him. Have you noticed the trend in our culture? Jesus is whoever you want Him to be and that's Jesus to you. It doesn't mean it's Jesus to the next guy or Even more importantly than that, it doesn't mean He's Jesus in the Bible as the Bible defines. But John is going to recognize Jesus and he's not going to define Him by His opinions. He's going to define Jesus by the truth of who He really is. I want you to pay attention to this today because many of you have believed in this false Jesus. The Americanized Jesus. The bearded woman in a dress ideology. That Jesus is this weak, impotent person who came to the earth to tell good stories and to point men in a good direction. I want you to see today, that's not going to be exactly what John says that he is as John the Baptist recognizes him. John the Baptist is going to declare who he is and he's going to declare why he declares who he is. And so as we read this text together, we're going to read verses 29 through 34 together, and then we are going to come back, we're going to see the proper recognition of Jesus. The proper recognition of who Scripture says that He is. Because it really doesn't matter who you say He is, and it really doesn't matter who you think He is. If who you say He is and who you think He is contradicts the Word of God, you've believed in something that's not really the true biblical Jesus. Unfortunately, those who believe in an unbiblical Jesus will hear the words one day, depart from me, I never knew you. When John sees him, John sees him as who Scripture says that he is. Verse 29 of chapter 1 says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 31 says, I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. As we unfold this text, I want you to see today, John uses three descriptions here to properly identify and properly recognize Christ. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. In verse 29, John quickly sees Him and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John properly acknowledges Jesus the moment he recognizes Him for who He is as the sacrifice of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want to quickly explain something to you. The world that he is referencing here is not the entire population of the world. It can't be. Because we know this, the entire population of the world's sins will not be taken away. Only those who believe and trust and faith in Jesus Christ. They will be forgiven. He could not be talking about the entire world here, but he is talking about the believing world. Because we know as believers, our sins have been removed, haven't they? How many of you are thankful that as a believer, your sins have been washed away? Just as we sang about a moment ago. Because of that fountain that was filled with blood, and that blood was the veins of Emmanuel being poured out as a sacrifice for sinful men. This is what John says when he sees Jesus for the first time. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everyone there in that crowd who heard that reference knew what he was talking about. Their whole lives, they had observed the Passover knowing this, that that tradition was handed down from the Exodus and that that Lamb at the Passover had to be without spot and without blemish. They knew that when John pointed to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that He was the perfect sacrifice of God. That He was without spot and without blemish. John was recognizing the perfection of Jesus Christ. Immediately recognizing the truth of His identity. And when we see Him as a sacrifice, we must see Him as the sacrifice that Scripture says that He is. Number one, if you're writing things down, He is the atoning sacrifice for sin. Meaning this, that Jesus is the substitutionary atoning sacrifice for sin. Which means this, He stood in your place and He stood in my place where I belonged, where I should have been paying for my own sin. He in His righteousness and in His perfection, He was the atoning sacrifice for the sin of all who would trust in Him. In fact, 1 John says this, John in his epistle says this is love. Not that we loved God. In fact, there was a time in my life, scripturally, where I hated God and I was an enemy of God. I loved my sin and I loved myself. 
Well, startlingly, startling news to many of you in today's culture where we don't like to talk about sin and the fact that we were enemies of God, but we were. In fact, Scripture says that we were cut off from Him. But we have been reconciled through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. John says, again, in 1 John 4, verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. In fact, the author of Hebrews says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There had to be a sacrifice. And John sees Jesus there on the shore, there on Jordan, and he says, there He is. Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There He is. That sacrifice. That atoning sacrifice. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, the heart of the Gospel is redemption. And the essence of redemption is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. What is he saying? He's saying this without Christ as a sacrifice. None of us have hope of any kind of redemption. There had to be a sacrifice. And long before he ever went to the tree, when John saw him, he said, there he is. The sacrifice. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The atoning sacrifice. Not only was He the atoning sacrifice, He's identified here as an acceptable sacrifice. You know how I know He's an acceptable sacrifice? Because John concluded that He's going to take away the sin of the world. Those in the world who would believe their sins would be removed. How do I know that that makes Him the acceptable sacrifice? Because in Hebrews chapter 10 in your Bibles, if you want to turn there, you can. But in verse 1, in talking about the sacrificial system in accordance with the law, the author of Hebrews says this, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never be by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. He's saying the sacrificial system was flawed. Those sacrifices couldn't make someone perfect. He says, if it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. He's saying, no, that's not how the sacrificial system under the law worked. There were sacrifices made continually. We know that there was that sacrifice of atonement made annually. And he's saying, no, if it could have really taken away sin, it would have been done and the sin would have been taken away and then we would have just rested. He says in verse 3, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. The fact that we needed something more. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Did you get that? He says, therefore, therefore what? Well, therefore, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he came into the world and He's there on the banks of Jordan. John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you prepared for Me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I, I am. It is written about Me in the scroll. I have come to do Your will, O God. First He said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Verse 9 says, Then He said, Here I am. 
I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. When John recognized Jesus Christ, he recognized Him as the Lamb of God who was coming to abolish sin and sinful man once and for all. And all who believe and trust in Him by faith, their sin has been removed. It is gone. It is washed. It is cleansed. They are now presented as holy in the eyes of God. Not because of their own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been imputed to those who believe through His substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. John sees Jesus and immediately he says this is the sacrifice of God. The atoning sacrifice, but He's also the acceptable sacrifice. The sacrifice that God is pleased with. And why is God pleased with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Because it is a perfect sacrifice. Jesus came to this earth. He came as the second person of the Trinity. He came as the second person of the triune God, or what we know as the Trinity, to die in the place of sinners, to offer Himself up as a spotless Lamb with no blemish and no sin and no fault. And He died in the place of wretched sinners like me and like you. Because He had to be an acceptable sacrifice. Why? Bulls and goats would never cleanse men from their sin. It was just an annual reminder that we were sinners and that there is a need for a greater righteousness. A righteousness that Paul says in Romans is a righteousness that comes from God and is revealed in the Gospel. So we see not only is He the atoning sacrifice for sin, the acceptable sacrifice for sin, He's God's affectionate sacrifice for sin. God's affectionate sacrifice for sin. Oh, John is preparing us here even in chapter 1 to read those beloved words in chapter 3, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. But in, in order for us to truly understand that, He had to establish some things here. That Jesus truly is the sacrifice of God. The affectionate sacrifice. What do you mean? He is the display of God's love to the sinner. How did He display His love to the sinner? Romans chapter 5. Verse 6, it says this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare die. He said at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you thankful that it doesn't say Christ died for the self-righteous, hypocritical, Pharisee, religious person, churchgoer? That's not what he says. He says he died for the ungodly. You know that's comforting to me? Because I know what I was before he saved me. I was ungodly. In fact, Scripture says I was without hope and without God. I was separated from him and his goodness because of my sin. The wrath of God abided upon me and all that I had to look forward to was the wrath of God in judgment for all eternity. John is saying this Jesus who I'm pointing to here is the sacrifice of God. He is showing you how much God loves you and what He will do and has done to rescue you from His wrath and to rescue you from the penalty of your sin. Verse 8 says this, 
But God demonstrates His own love for us. Here in Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, He died for us. I want you to see the sacrifice that John is recognizing here. He's not pointing Jesus out as a sacrifice that cannot take away sin or that is dependent upon us. He's pointing out a sacrifice that is dependent upon merely the blood sacrifice. He says, and this is how God showed His affection, His love. And that while we were still sinners. That means this, when Kirk Hall was at his lowest point. You want to know what that is? Forget about it. I'm not telling you. I don't want to know yours. But while I was at my most godless, sinful point, God showered His mercy and His grace and His love upon me through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. John properly identifies Him and recognizes Him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We must properly recognize Jesus in the same manner. To identify Him as the Lamb of God who was slain for our sin. Oh, do you recognize that today? Do you recognize Christ as the One who was slain for your sin? Or is He just another good luck charm on your list of good luck charms? Is He another genie in a bottle that you just, oh, if I just rub Him the right way, He's going to bless me a little bit. Or do you see Him for who He truly is? John saw Him for who He truly is. The sacrifice of God. God made flesh come to this earth for the mere reason to die for an ungodly sinner like me. That's who Jesus is. Have you recognized that? Sacrifice of God. Secondly, as we read on in this text, verse 30 says this, this is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that He might be revealed to Israel. John recognizes something here about Jesus that many times we miss. He recognized Him as the sacrifice of God, but right here He recognizes Him as the supremacy of God. The supremacy of God. He said He he came into this earth and though He was before me, or came after me, excuse me, He has surpassed me because He was before me. What is he talking about? He's talking about birth order. Jesus was born six months after John the Baptist. We know that to be true because the Bible confirms it. But he's not only talking about birth order here, he's talking about eternal order. He says, though he was come into this world after me, he has surpassed me because he was before me. Now he's going to talk about the eternality of Jesus Christ here. The fact that he has always been. That he is supreme. Well, the Apostle Paul in Colossians does a great job of talking about the supremacy of Christ in light of what we're saying here today. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. 
And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything He might have supremacy. In everything He might be seen and have supremacy. John sees Him. Here is God supreme standing in our midst. There is none higher. He is God Almighty. He is God Sovereign. He is God Supreme. For God was pleased, it says in 19 of Colossians chapter 1, God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Jesus wasn't part God. Jesus wasn't God for a moment. Jesus was eternal God in flesh, there standing on the banks of the Jordan River, about to be baptized by John according to the will of God. John recognizes His supremacy. And through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Paul testifies to the supremacy of Christ that John is recognizing here. And when John saw Jesus, he didn't see just another man standing there on the bank of that river. He saw God eternal in flesh. When you think about that for a second, God eternal in flesh. Flesh. It's exactly what the Apostle was talking about in chapter 1 in the first three verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? And the Word was God. And the Word was with God in the beginning. And we know this when we drop down. Verse 3, it says, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Sounds a lot like what Paul is saying in Colossians, doesn't it? Verse 14, we learn this, that the Word became flesh and did what? Made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the One and Only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John is identifying Jesus here not only as the sacrifice of God, but the supremacy of God. He is saying this is God eternal in flesh. Not only is He God eternal in flesh, why was John talking about these things? Verse 31, he says, I came baptizing with water, that He might be revealed. That He might be revealed. So we see God eternal in flesh, but we also see God exposed in flesh. Jesus is revealed. Right here in this moment, His earthly ministry is about to begin. John identifies Him and says He's God eternal, but He's also God exposed. Here He is, right before your very eyes. No longer hidden from you. He is... The image of the invisible God. Look at Him and see God. In fact, Jesus Himself said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Why? They're one in essence. So here He is, John recognizing His supremacy there on that riverbank. There He is. Supreme Lord of all. God in flesh. Come to dwell with us. Oh, immediately their minds move. The promise, the promise and the prophecy of Isaiah. They move to chapter 7, verse 14. Where Isaiah gives the promise. Verse 14, he says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Here we see John recognizing Emmanuel, God, Emmanuel in flesh. Jesus is revealed to Israel in this moment. In fact, in Matthew, when the birth of Jesus Christ is foretold in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, 
Back up to 22, he says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, speaking of Isaiah in chapter 7. Verse 23 says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So as looking at, looking at the supremacy of God here, we see God eternal in flesh, God exposed in flesh. This is God revealing Himself to those who He desires to save. And then we see this. It is God Emmanuel in flesh. The one who Isaiah had prophesied about. Emmanuel, God with us, standing in their midst. Just as John 1.14 says, dwelling among them. Jesus, here according to the testimony of John, was revealed. He was recognized by John the Baptist and all who would believe in Him as Supreme God, as Sovereign Lord, as the full representation of the eternal God incarnate. Here He is, God in flesh, unveiled and revealed. Why is that important, Kurt? Well, because I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is not just a good man. Though He was a good man. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ was not just a preacher of righteousness. Though He preached righteousness. I want you to understand He was not just the prophet, though He was the prophet and the greatest prophet to ever be because He's truly God incarnate. I want you to understand that all of your preconceived ideas about who Jesus Christ might be need to leave your mind at this moment in time and understand, it doesn't matter who you think He might be. John says this is the supremacy of God. This is God eternal standing in our midst. I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus becomes a little more important, doesn't He? Doesn't He become a little more important when we see who He truly is? John sees Him as Supreme Sovereign Lord of all. Full representation. The essence of God on this earth. I want to say this to you today. It's important that you properly recognize who He is. There are many people who are going to spend an eternity in hell because they settled for Jesus just being a good man or prophet. Or they thought He was their genie in their bottle that they needed to go to when things weren't going just like they intended for them to go. Oh, there will be many people in hell for eternity because they thought that Jesus' sole purpose was just to benefit all of you and to bless you with nice houses and nice cars and a nice sweet little family. John sees beyond the shallowness of that and he identifies Jesus as the supremacy of God. God eternal in their midst. Oh, what a day that was for John recognizing the One who He had been preaching about, who He was longing for. We must properly, as John did, recognize Jesus as the supremacy of God. The supremacy of God. Co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and with the Spirit. Here He is, John, recognizing that accurately. Why is it important? Because we have so many inaccurate descriptions and thinkings about Jesus in our time. Jesus didn't come here to be your best friend or your homeboy or your life coach or your helper 
He came here as God eternal to offer Himself as a sacrifice for the ungodly. A sacrifice for sinners who did not deserve it. We must see Him for who He truly is. John the Baptist recognized Him immediately. We read on in verse 32. It says this, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on Him. And I would not have known Him except that the One who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is He who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. We know that that happens at Pentecost. He baptizes the church with the Holy Spirit and the power to be witnesses of who He is. Verse 34, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So we see that John the Baptist in his proper recognition of Jesus and identifying Him correctly, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He identifies Him as the sacrifice of God. Secondly, He says this. He's talking about His eternal existence. And He says, He's before Me. Now we know again, Jesus was not born before John. John preceded Him in birth, but Jesus preceded Him in all eternity because Jesus is eternally God. Here He is. John recognizes His supremacy, but thirdly, he recognizes Him as the Son of God. The Son of God. What is he even talking about here? He's talking about the second person of the Trinity. Did you know this? The Son of God didn't begin existing when Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. The Son of God has always existed. In fact, He is, as we saw in chapter 1, Logos. The Word. He's eternal. And here John is saying this is the eternal Son of God. Verse 32, then, then John gave this testimony. Where? At baptism. Oh, we see a very clear, explained picture of that baptism in Matthew's account chapter 3. If you'll turn over there to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Matthew gives an accurate description of what actually happened there at the baptism of Christ. Verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? You think about that for a second. We take Matthew's Gospel and we take John's Gospel, we see this, that John had already identified Jesus as the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has already identified Him as the supremacy of God. And Jesus walks up to John. John, rightfully so, thinking that the proper order would be for Jesus to baptize Him. But Jesus came to John to be baptized by John. Verse 15, it says, Jesus replied, let it be so now. Oh, we lose a little in the language there. In English, it says, no, John, do it. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. I guess he did. you imagine John getting an argument with Jesus there? Bethany, the Jordan? As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. That's for all the people who believe in sprinkling. He just got nixed. He went up out of the water because He went down into the water. That's why we practice 
immersion, baptism. That's just for free so that you can have a clear understanding. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What is going on here? What's going on here is that we see all three persons of the Godhead working in agreement for the glory of God. We see all three persons working in agreement all at the same time, all co-equal and co-eternal in their essence, all bringing glory to the one true God who is represented and three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We see that this is being communicated by John. He's identifying Jesus as Lord. When he says He is the Son of God, he is recognizing the Lordship of Jesus. And let me just tell you this, if you're going to properly recognize Jesus, you better recognize the fact that He is Lord of all. John is telling this because he has identified Jesus as Lord. So we see it's communicated by John the Baptist that Jesus is Lord when he uses the the term the Son of God. And it's conveyed here by Jesus at His baptism. Why did Jesus say the baptism had to happen? To fulfill what? All righteousness. Jesus was saying because this is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. John said, no, let me baptize you. Jesus said, no, you baptize me because I'm being baptized as an example. How do you know it was an example? Here's how I know it was an example. Because John was baptizing because of repentance from sin. And in faith of the one, in the one who was to come, which was the Christ. Jesus had no sin and he is the Christ. He had no need to go through with John's baptism the way that John had been baptizing. Jesus gave us an example here. In fact, he gave us a little sneak peek or a snippet or what we call a spoiler in our time. He was showing them a picture of the death the burial, and the resurrection that He was going to endure. Just as we, when we baptize people in believer's baptism, which is different than the baptism of John, we are identifying and baptizing them because they have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior. They have recognized Him as the sacrifice of God. They have recognized Him as the supremacy of God. They have recognized Him as the Son of God all by faith. And because of their public profession of that, we baptize them so that they can identify with the example that Christ laid out for us. Those people who believe in baptismal regeneration, I ask them, you believe in baptismal regeneration? Well, did Jesus have to get baptized to be saved? Usually that's when the discussion ends. Because we know that Jesus didn't have to be saved. He gave us the example of baptism. Why? Because righteousness said that it had to be so. What does that mean? Well, when you're made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through the supremacy of Christ, and realizing and recognizing that He is truly the Son of God who saves you, you need to identify righteously, your first act of righteousness actually, your first act of obedience, in believers' baptism saying that for all of you people who think that I've been saved but I haven't ever been baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you're disobedient to what Christ has commanded. You need to make sure that changes as soon as possible if you are truly born again. 
We see the Son of God revealed, conveyed by Jesus at His baptism, confirmed by God the Spirit. What a confirmation. John said, I was looking for this. That God told me that the One who the Spirit descends upon and remains, He is truly the Son of God. This is the One John has been preaching about, the One John has been looking forward to, and the Spirit comes as a dove, and what a symbol of peace, and He rests upon Jesus the Son. Not only was the fact that Jesus is the Son of God communicated by John, conveyed by Jesus at His baptism, when He talks about fulfilling all righteousness, He's the only one who had the power to do that and to point us in that direction. We see that thirdly, it was confirmed by God in His Spirit, descending on Him. And then lastly, corroborated by the Father. The Father is going to agree with all of this. And He agrees with all this by saying this statement. This is My Son in whom I am well pleased. This is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. That's the words of the Father to the Son. John seeing Him for who He is. How does He see Him for who He is? Because He can't miss who Jesus really is when you see the biblical Jesus. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the triune Godhead. This truth being recognized here at His baptism by John the Baptist in agreement here with all three persons of the Trinity all at the same time. All equally God at the same time. Boy, doesn't that cancel the heresy that we know as modalism. Oh, that heresy says that, well, when you see Jesus as God, He just took the form of God for a moment, and then some some point in time He changed forms, and then He was the Spirit, and then at another time He changed forms, and He was the Father, or modes. That's where we get the term modalism, and that's a heresy, and it's been condemned for a long, long time, hundreds of years. And so as we look at this, I want you to see a great example of Father, Son, and Spirit working to accomplish the will of of sovereign God. Here they are. Jesus being seen as the eternal Son of God. So in this, we see the essence of God revealed in three persons. These three persons are rightly distinguished, but totally undivided. They were all in agreement as to who Jesus Christ truly is. Totally undivided all functioning equally as divine in essence, indivisible in nature, confirming that Jesus truly is the Son of God. I've been asked that question many times. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? So that righteousness would be fulfilled. Who was He baptized by? He was baptized by John the Baptist. Why? Because it was according to God's will that it be so. We see these events unfold. Why? So that we can have a clear recognition of who Jesus is. John recognized Him as the Son of God. How did he recognize Him as the Son of God? How could he miss Him? The Father said He's the Son. The Spirit descended upon Him as the Word said that He would, that John received from God. And here it is. John is now testifying. Here is the Son of God. Why is that important? I told you He's setting everything up. We're going to get to chapter 3 at some point in time. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Well, we must have a clear understanding that this is not just another man 
who came to die for the sin of the world, but yet it is the God-man who came to die for the sin of the world. The second person of the Trinity, who always has been and always will be, the Son, came to this earth as Jesus the Christ, and He died for your sin and for my sin that we could be forgiven. It's when we properly recognize Jesus, when we properly identify Him biblically, we see the magnitude of Him being the Son of God. The eternal Son of God. The second person of the Godhead Trinity. Dying for a wretched scoundrel like Kirk Hall. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. You can put your name in there as well this morning if you know Him. A wretched scoundrel named whatever your name is Put it in there. And the second person of the eternal triune God came to this earth so that you could be forgiven for all of your sin. So that you could be washed and granted the eternal life that He and He alone promised. So is it important that we properly Recognize Jesus. I'll tell you this. Are you listening? It is essential. It is essential. There will be people spend an eternity in hell because someone mishandled the Word of truth and did not tell them who the true biblical Jesus really is. I know many people say, I don't want to get caught up in all the theology of all this like you do, Kirk. I just want to know the fact that Jesus died for me. Yes, I want you to know that fact too. But I want you to know who He truly is. Because if you don't know who He truly is, you can make Him out to be whatever you want Him to be. And boy, isn't there enough of that in American Christianity today? Jesus is whoever I want Him to be. He's here at my service. I want you to understand, that's not how it works. John recognized Him properly as the sacrifice of God. The supremacy of God. And the Son of God. And He's teaching this to us today so that we can recognize Him with that same accuracy. So the question then comes, or or a series of questions. Have you truly by faith properly recognized the true Jesus of the Scripture? Do you really know Him? Or do you know who you think He is? Who isn't? Jesus at all. He's just some Americanized idol that we've come up with in our depraved mind. He's just another idea that makes us feel good. Right? You notice what John didn't say here. He didn't say, Behold the Lamb of God. Who's your free ticket to paradise? To your best life now? The more money, the more success, or bigger home, or some kind of notoriety. No, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your problem is sin. If you're going to properly recognize Jesus, you're going to have to properly recognize that He came to wash you of your sin. That starts with you admitting that you have a need to be washed. Ephesians chapter 1, 7, in Him, 
Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. If you don't properly see Jesus as the sacrifice of God, you see no need to be cleansed. Why did John say He came? Because this wretch needs cleansing. And you, the sinners, need cleansing. And He came to do that. He makes that very clear. He's the sacrifice of God. Have you recognized Him as such in your life? Are you doing what so many people try to do? Oh, I'm just trying to do enough good that maybe the good will outweigh the bad. I'm here to tell you this. The good will never outweigh the bad. It is Jesus who must atone for your sin and completely remove it and credit to, to you through His grace and His mercy, only through His sacrifice, a righteousness that belongs to Him that He has graciously given or imputed to you. That's the only way that you're ever going to be clean before a holy God. Period. John says recognize Him properly as a sacrifice of God, the Lamb. Without spot and without blemish. He didn't deserve to die, but yet He died in your place. He died as your substitute. That means this. You deserve the wrath. You deserve the death. But He took it so that you could be forgiven. Have you recognized Him as such? Or is He just that guy we talk about on Easter and Christmas? To give us another excuse for all of our worldly parties and schemes. Have you truly trusted Him as the sacrifice of God? What about the supremacy of God? Have you recognized Jesus as Supreme Lord? Supreme Lord of all. That's what John was saying here. As John the Baptist recognized Him, He's before me. He's eternal. He is sovereign Lord in our midst. Oh, Thomas, when he saw Him, and God opened his eyes, Jesus revealing His scars on His hands and His feet, as Thomas was still in doubt, Thomas shouted out, My Lord and my God. That's proper recognition of Jesus. Have you recognized Him as supreme, sovereign Lord of all? Have you surrendered to that Lordship accordingly? Oh, but you don't understand, Pastor. He's my Savior, but I don't know if He's yet my Lord. Guys, this is a package deal. He must be both Savior and Lord all at the same time. John recognized Him as both. The sacrifice of God and then the supremacy of God. He said He's Savior through His blood and He's Lord through His eternal position. You say, well, I don't know that I have to recognize Him as Lord. You don't. What about Romans chapter 10 and what it says? That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Oh, you didn't confess with your mouth, Jesus is my ticket to heaven. Jesus is my good luck charm. Jesus is my best buddy, my pal, my chum. No, he says if you confess that Jesus is Lord. What is that? That's properly recognizing Him in who He truly is. Supreme over all. He is sovereign Lord. Recognize Him for who He is. Not who you think He is or who other people have tried to talk you into believing that He is. Who is He? He's Lord. 
and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Have you recognized the supremacy of Christ? The supremacy of God? Have you recognized that in Jesus bowing to Him as sovereign Lord? Have you truly trusted Him not only as the person who's going to give you your get-out-of-hell-free card, but have you trusted Him as who He really is, the supreme God of all creation? No higher. God Almighty. Have you trusted in Him? You have to ask yourself that question. I wish I could answer it for you, but I can't. John recognized who he truly was. He is the sacrifice of God, the supremacy of God, and then the Son of God. Have you recognized Jesus as the Son of God personally? The One who came to rescue sinners and grant eternal life. John in his epistle in 1 John chapter 5, he tells us about the Son. He says this, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Oh, is it essential that you recognize that He is the Son of God? Just as essential as it is that you recognize that He is Lord. And just as essential as it is that you recognize that He is truly the sacrifice that God has provided for your sin. It is essential that you also recognize Him, just as John did, as the Son. Why? Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If you don't trust that Jesus is the Son of God, you don't overcome the world. In fact, the the world overcomes you and you will be overcome by the sinfulness and the wickedness of this world and hell for all eternity. Verse 6 says this, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit who testifies. Because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony. But God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. And what is that testimony? It is the testimony that the Father gave at the baptism of Jesus Christ. And He said, This is My Son, whom I love. In Him I am well pleased. God says, He's My Son, the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who came to free you from your sin. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Think about that for a second. For all the people who think, well, you know, everybody's on their own road. And you call your road Jesus. But I'm on my own road and I call my word whatever title culture wants to give you. Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism. I'm on my road and don't you think that God will see our sincerity? No, He won't. He won't see your sincerity because He has established the way. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me. The one who knows the way to the Father is the Son. The Son reveals the way to the Father. You must know the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son, God, Son of God, excuse me, does not have life. 
Life has not been granted to you because you do not have the Son. Oh, is it important that we recognize Jesus as the Son of God? Again, important would be an understatement. It's essential. I write these things, John says in verse 13 of chapter 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know why I know that I have eternal life? Because I have recognized the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, for who He is. I have recognized the supremacy of God, the Lord Jesus, for who He is. I have recognized the sacrifice of God, the Lamb, who takes away the sin of the world and who has personally washed all my sin whiter than snow. I have acknowledged Him by faith. How? Because I'm a good person? No. Because I'm a wretched person who God has awakened through the power of the Spirit to believe and to trust in who Jesus is. How did John recognize Him so quickly that day? God opened His eyes to see who Jesus truly is. My prayer for you is this, that if you've not truly, properly recognized Jesus, who He is, that God would graciously, by the power of His Spirit, this very day, open your eyes, give you a proper recognition of Jesus by faith. And that proper recognition of Jesus by faith will be the faith that you are justified by according to the plan of God. Would you believe? Would you trust? Would you surrender to Jesus Christ today? The sacrifice of God, the supremacy of God, and the eternal Son of God. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to You thanking You for Your Word. We thank You for the Gospel. Because it is the Gospel that is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. God, I pray today that You would call unbelievers out of darkness and into light through the power of Your Spirit, opening their eyes to see and to recognize Jesus for who He truly is. The sacrifice of God, the supremacy of God, and the Son of God. And that they would kneel and bow to Him accordingly as the only One who can forgive them. As the eternal God who came to save them. And as the Son of God who accomplished the will of of the Father in redemption for the glory of the one true God. Lord, we love You. We pray now that Your Spirit would draw others, that they would receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.